If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. God's Word says there is an unforgivable sin, but there is also a great deal of misunderstanding about it, even among Christians. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah sheds light on this sin, clarifying what it is and what it isn't. If you're worried that you might have already committed it, you'll find relief as David introduces the conclusion of his message, Is There a Sin God Cannot Forgive? Well, thank you for joining us. It's Monday. It's a new week, but we're in the middle of a series that we're about ready to conclude. The series is called 10 Questions Christians Are Asking. You know, one thing I've noticed about Christians, everybody has questions. The Christian faith is dynamic. It's not static. It's expansive. And so there's so much about what God is doing in our lives, in our churches, in our families, that, well, they those things provoke questions, and we go to the Scripture to get the answer. I try to be a guide to help you know which Scripture to go to, and that's what we're going to do today. We're talking about a very um, prevalent question. I've been asked this question a lot, in one way or the other. Usually it comes like this, do you believe there's an unpardonable sin? Or the question, as it's formatted for today's program, is, is there a sin God cannot forgive? And uh, we're going to look at Mark chapter 3 and conclude our discussion of this. We started this on Friday, took a break for the weekend, and now here's part two. Is there a sin God cannot forgive? Before we get there, let me just remind you again, you can get the book that has all of the information that we're talking about on Turning Point during the month of May. The May series, uh, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking. All of it has been formatted and printed in a beautiful book, and the title is 10 Questions Christians Are Asking. Everything that I've talked about and some things I haven't had time to talk about is in this book. Plus, at the end of every chapter, there's a mini study guide to help you interact with what you've learned. You could take this book, get a copy for everybody in your study group. You'd have the text and the study guide in one volume, and you could talk about these questions. So once again, send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month and ask for the book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking. So here's part two of Is There a Sin God Cannot Forgive? The healing of this man by the Lord Jesus when he cast the demon out of him was so outstanding was so incredible. Nothing like this has happened up to this point. Watch carefully. There was no way for this man to be treated normally. The scripture says he was mute, which means he was deaf and he couldn't speak, and he was also blind. No exorcist could deal with him because there was no way of assaulting his spirit as would be needed to cast out the demons. How do you get through to a man who can't see anything and can't hear anything and can't speak anything? 
But when Jesus cast the demon out of this man, the scripture says all of his maladies were cured at once. And the man who couldn't see could now see clearly. And the man who couldn't hear could now hear clearly. And the man who couldn't speak could speak intelligently. And the people were amazed. And they said, could this be the son of David? In other words, is this the Messiah we've been looking for? Because the Old Testament prophesied that when the Messiah came, he would do marvelous deeds as Jesus had just done. And they had never seen anything like this before in Israel. And when the scribes heard this, they went ballistic. They said, it's true, we saw a miracle. It's true, it was an unusual and astounding miracle. But this cannot be explained as a miracle of the son of David. This is a miracle that was done in the power of Beelzebub, in the power of Satan. You know what Jesus did? He just presented his argument. I want you to see how he goes about this. He called them to himself and he said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? You're saying to me that I'm casting out Satan by Satan? That doesn't make any sense. And then his final argument is this really incredible illustration. He says in his insight part of this, he says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder or steal his goods. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. Watch this. The strong man is Satan. His house is the kingdom which dominates the earth. And his possessions are the helpless victims that he holds. Only one who is stronger than Satan can free Satan's victims. And this is what Jesus has done. Jesus appeals to the logical argument to answer the scribes' accusations And instead of getting angry with them and casting a spell on them or doing something that he had certainly the power to do, he quietly, logically reasons with them and he leaves them speechless with nothing to say. By the way, what Jesus is saying by this illustration should give great hope to all of us in the world in which we live. Even the most ferocious demon flees at the word of Jesus That could only mean that he's stronger than Satan and he's stronger than all of his demons put together. Jesus bound the strong man. He rendered him impotent and in doing so, he draws a straight line to one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. 1 John 4, 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, you have nothing to fear from Satan or his demons if you are in league with Jesus because the one you have is greater than the one who's out there. So to his family, Jesus was demented. And to his foes, he was demonic. Now we come to this part of the story that I started with at the beginning. To his followers, he was divine. What Jesus is going to prove now is that in order for you to be a follower of Jesus, there are certain things you must believe. You must believe that Jesus is God. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And notice how he goes about this as he addresses the scribes who have come against him with these accusations. Verse 28. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. 
This final paragraph of our lesson today is the source of some of the greatest misunderstanding in all of Christendom, and it has been mistaught many times to the suffering of untold people. The last phrase in this verse tells us why Jesus said what he said. He said it because they were accusing him of being filled with an unclean spirit. And so he says to them, there is a sin which you are on the verge of committing. Be careful now. You're on the verge of committing this sin. That if you commit it, there is no forgiveness available. So let me just stop now and let's do a little theological short session. What is the unpardonable sin? The way I'd like to start that is by telling you, first of all, what it is not. Let's take some things off the list. The unpardonable sin is not cursing Jesus. I've heard people say that. Don't curse Jesus. You're committing the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is not adultery or sexual perversion. The unpardonable sin is not murder or multiple murders or genocide. The unpardonable sin is not suicide or taking one's own life. I've heard that more than any other. My brother, my father, my uncle, my sister, they took their own life. Pastor, is that the unpardonable sin? Does that mean they won't go to heaven? No. It doesn't mean they won't go to heaven. That is not the unpardonable sin. By the way, I would suggest you not do that. (laughs) Because the first person you're going to meet on the other side is the Lord Jesus, and he's going to say to you, why'd you do that? Now, whatever you do, don't go home and say, I went to church today and Dr. Jeremiah said that cursing and sexual perversion and murder and taking your own life is okay. I'm not saying that. These are not okay. These are sins. These are serious sins. But they're not sins that are unforgivable by Almighty God, as most people will say. People who believe that there's a sin God cannot forget, this is part of their list. And maybe you've heard them say that to you or you've heard them say it about somebody you know. What is the unpardonable sin? I want to take you through just a few things so we can see it completely. First of all, I need to tell you that the unpardonable sin is very rare. It's very rare. In fact, in all of the Bible, there is only one instance of the Lord Jesus saying anything like he says here. It's in the other Gospels, but it's about this event. It's just one occasion. It doesn't occur anyplace else in the Scripture. It's very rare. It's rare in instance. And it's also rare in circumstance. By that I mean, I don't believe it's possible for anybody to commit this particular sin today. Charles Ryrie, theologian, says this, To commit this sin requires a special situation, the personal presence of Jesus Christ on the earth performing miracles. So to duplicate this situation today would be impossible. Therefore, to commit the unpardonable sin today would also be impossible. Attributing the works of the Spirit of God to Satan was an unpardonable sin in Jesus' day. So it's very rare. Number two, as you study this in the context in which it is given to us, it's not only a rare sin, it's a rehearsed sin. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem didn't just do this on a whim. They just didn't show up without any preparation whatsoever, and they see Jesus doing that, and they say, oh, that's satanic. No, if you follow the book of Mark and you follow the religious leaders in the book of Mark, they've been on a journey. When you first meet them, they're full of curiosity about all that Jesus is doing. They're seeing Jesus do these things and they have question marks. And then their questions become indifferent. Now they don't really seem to care. And then their indifference begins to metastasize into a malicious attitude. 
that becomes so hateful and vengeful that it ultimately nails Jesus Christ to the cross. These religious leaders who've come down to accuse Jesus of this terrible thing, they didn't become the way they were in a moment. They've been on a long journey of hard-heartedness toward the Messiah. It was a rare sin. It was rehearsed. Let me tell you another thing about it. It was repeated. In the language of the New Testament, this phrase, they say it, is in the imperfect tense. Don't let me lose you on that thought. The imperfect tense simply means it is an event that keeps on happening. You could translate it by saying it this way. When they came down and they saw what Jesus had done, they kept on saying. Now, they didn't just say it once. They kept on saying, this is the work of Satan. This is the work of Satan. Jesus is doing this in the work of Satan. Did you hear me? He's doing it in the work of Satan. This is satanic. They kept on saying it over and over again. Do you know there is such a thing of opposing God that becomes so persistent and so deliberate that repentance and forgiveness almost becomes impossible? Listen carefully. God's grace always remains the same. You cannot diminish the grace of God by what you do. It's always the same, in the same supply. But a sinner can bring himself to such a condition that the operation of grace upon him is excluded. Some have put it this way. Grace is like bodily food. Do you know there is a situation in which you can reject food to such an extent until the power to receive it is lost? That's a physical malady that affects a lot of people in our culture today. In other words, they get to the place where they don't eat, they reject food, they won't accept food, that when they need to eat, many times you see them in a hospital and they're being fed intravenously. The Bible says that we can come to the place of repentance and reject it and reject it and reject it and become so hard-hearted about it that when the repentance is necessary, we have put ourselves in a situation where we have no longer the ability to respond calluses grow on our hearts. Our ears can't receive the truth. We become hardened in our consciences. And while the grace of God is still there and he's still willing to receive us and he's still willing to forgive us, we put ourselves in an unforgivable situation. This was a rare sin. This was a rehearsed sin. This was a repeated sin. And number four, it was a religious sin. Listen to me carefully. The sin that Jesus warned the scribes against was not a sin that was going to be committed by the woman taken in adultery. It wasn't going to be committed by the woman at the well of Samaria who had five husbands. It wasn't going to be committed by Nicodemus. This sin was committed or was in the process of being committed by the scribes. Let me ask you a question today, class. What do scribes do? They scribble, right? That's what a scribe does. He scribbles. <laughs> scribes write, right? Do you know what the scribes in the New Testament did? They didn't have printing presses like we have today. Scribes copied the word of God. That was their full-time job. Every day they would get up, they would go to their office, they would sit down with a manuscript here, and they would take what was written on this manuscript, and they would copy it in another manuscript. They continually made copies of the Word of God. Their full-time job was studying, reading, and copying the Scripture. 
And it was these scribes, these religious people, who had every reason to know that the Son of God was coming as the Messiah, who knew what the Old Testament prophets said about the signs of his coming, that he would come with great miracles and great power. They had copied that and continued to copy it, and that was their daily routine. And this sin was committed or was about to be committed by the most religious people of the day. How many of you know that you've become hardened to spiritual truth by actually living in the middle of it? You can go to church so much that church no longer makes any difference. You can read the Bible until it becomes like a blank stare and the words no longer register with you. The scribes had come to the place where they were so familiar with religious things that when the Son of God showed up, they didn't know who he was and thought he was from Satan. This was a religious sin. You see, what Jesus wants us to know is this. By ascribing the miracles of Jesus to Satan, the religious leaders were denying the deity of Jesus Christ. They were saying that he could not be God. And yet it was by his miracles that he was showing himself that he was God. Because only God could do what he had done. His followers had to believe in his deity. And how many of you know that it is the Holy Spirit who witnesses to the deity of Christ in our world today? So when you refuse to accept the ministry of the Holy Spirit or you ascribe his ministry to Satan, you give up the final opportunity. You have to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. B.H. Carl said it this way, as long as you deny God, the Father, you still have Jesus and the Holy Spirit. If you deny the Son, you still have the Holy Spirit. But if you deny the Holy Spirit, you have now denied the entire Trinity and there's no God left who can save you. Now, I know that the thought of an unforgivable sin has haunted sensitive people in every Christian century, and maybe it has haunted you. So I want to be very clear before we finish this up today to say to you that if you're bothered in your spirit that you may have committed a sin that God will not forgive, the very fact that you have anxiety over that is proof positive that you have not committed the sin. And the reason for that is, if you've committed the unpardonable sin, you've come to the place where you deny the power of God in essence anywhere. You deny that he has any power to do anything. So if he's still working in your heart and you have an itchy place that you haven't scratched and you know that there's something wrong in your heart, don't say that's the unforgivable sin because it's not. The very fact that you still care about it is a proof positive that you haven't committed that sin. And as I said at the beginning, I think I can say with authority that no one yet in this room has committed the unforgivable sin. So what is the unforgivable sin today? The unforgivable sin today is to harden your heart against God, being under the teaching of the word of God, walk away from it and say, I know that's probably true, but I'm not going to deal with it. I know I should become a Christian, but I'm not going to mess with it. I'll wait until some other later time. And you continue to do that, and you continue to do it, and you build up calluses on your soul until after a while the Spirit of God no longer is bringing conviction to your heart. And then you go through your life, and over a period of time you become hardened, so it's just like water off a duck's back. You hear the Word of God, and it makes no impact on you, and then you continue like that. And if you die in that condition, there is no forgiveness for you available. 
The unforgivable sin today for any of us has not yet been committed, but if you go through your life and you don't receive Jesus Christ before you die, you have committed the unpardonable sin. There's no forgiveness in this life or the next for the rejection of Jesus Christ as your Savior. So what I want to say to you is that don't worry that you have committed, but be concerned that you might. (laughs) You don't have to worry about this in the past. You have to worry about this in the future. If you do not know for certain that you are a Christian, that you have invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, and you walk out of this building today and you get hit by a truck or you have a heart attack, you then have committed the unpardonable sin. You can't be forgiven. You don't get a second chance after death. Death is it. It's final. Whatever you do concerning Christ, you do in this life. So don't gamble that you will have time. Because you may not. That's the most, can I use this word I never like to use? That's the stupidest gamble anybody can ever make. To gamble eternity. So here we are today, standing in the midst of all of this, and Jesus standing in the midst of all his criticism, and there are three opinions about who he is. His family thinks he's demented. His enemies think he's demonic. And his followers think he's divine. Could I suggest to you that all of us fall into the category of one of those three opinions? There are really only three ways to explain Jesus Christ. In his great book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis has a great paragraph that is quoted often among Christians. Sometimes it's referred to as the trilemma. Here are the three things about Jesus. So I want to close with this today. So listen carefully. This is really important. C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really silly thing that people often say about Jesus. I can promise you, you've heard people say this. Here's what they say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. And C.S. Lewis said, that's the one thing you can't say. Because a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said, wouldn't be a great moral teacher. Why, he'd either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that door open to us, and he didn't intend to. (laughs) He is not a great moral teacher. You get out there with your friends at work, and they say, oh, yeah, I hear you're into Jesus. Yeah, I'm into Jesus. He's a great teacher. He's like Buddha and Hindu and all these people that he talks about, all the great, quote, unquote, teachers. And you realize they don't understand that Jesus is God. If Jesus is God, he can't be anything. If Jesus came and said, I am the truth, the way, and the life, and he's not, he's a liar. If Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, how awful would that be if it were not true? But I'm here to tell you, men and women, it is true. Jesus is who he claims to be. He is the Son of God. He is our Redeemer. He is the one who came to receive us into his glory. And you can count on it. You can bet on it. You can bet eternity on it. But if you decide not to, and you let time go by, you never know what the issues of time will do, and you have no guarantee of even one hour of life. 
You know, I think what's happened for all of us, I think COVID has made us more aware of the, the shortness of life. For a period of time, it seemed like all we heard on television and on the radio was information about people dying. And of course, as one uh, wag has said, uh, the statistics on death are 100%. So all of us will experience that if the Lord tarries is coming. But here's the issue I want to impress upon you today. Life is uncertain. Death is looming out there. And between where you are now and where you have to meet the, the Savior, meet the Lord, you need to make sure that you're ready to go to heaven. And the way you get ready is by inviting Jesus Christ into your life, by asking him to forgive your sin. Tell him you're sorry for your sin and you want to be forgiven. And he will forgive you. And the Bible says he will give you the gift of eternal life, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you want to go to heaven? That's the only way. Jesus made it very plain. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. You want to go to the Father when you die? You want to spend eternity with God? Then you must receive Jesus Christ. You must repent, and you can do it right now, wherever you are. In a simple prayer, just tell him what we've been talking about. Tell him that you know you're a sinner and that you need to be saved, and you want to receive Jesus Christ today. Let us know if we can help you. We have some literature we'd love to send you. Most of all, be sure and join us tomorrow as we continue our journey in the 10 questions. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. How has your life been impacted by this ministry? Let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta BC, V4L 2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, and learn to live with greater confidence. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series 10 Questions Christians Are Asking here on Turning Point. Lots of advice telling you how to set and reach your goals. But before you dive in, it's a good idea to know God's plan for your life. Find joy in pursuing the next steps God has for you in Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Forward, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. God does have a perfect plan for you, and it's time to embrace your life's purpose. It's time to move forward. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash forward. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca study. That's davidjeremiah.ca study. 
I have learned the secret to avoiding criticism. By following this advice, you will never again be criticized by anyone at any time for any reason. Here's the solution to avoiding criticism. Say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. If you're disappointed, you should be. A person who lives like that isn't living at all. Instead, I've got a better solution, one that comes from the Bible. Paul wrote, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. If we do what God approves, most people will approve us as well. And if you are criticized, it won't matter because God's approval is the approval that really counts. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's approval on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.